This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. It's been said that change is inevitable and growth is optional. What I've come to learn is that leaders love change, expect things to change, and work to create positive change. Way back when Jerry and I started the show, we wanted to change the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan. Another way to say that is that conversation is the gateway to change. And here's a few things we've learned along the way. All change is a critique of the past. All change has casualties. And all change needs a champion. And our in-house change champion is Jerry Brisson. And he joins me next to discuss this idea that change is inevitable, but growth is optional. Come back and join Jerry and me in just a moment. everyone. Jerry Brisson, the change maista, joins me here in the WJR studio and for our show. Jerry, it's great to see you. Thank you for your leadership. And recently I saw that on display in excellent fashion as we made some visits to legislatures here in Michigan and um, talking about how this work has changed. Well, and what are we trying to do, right? Huh? You know, uh, so I, I do have to say this, though. There's only about a thousand authors who have written just about the topic of change, which I have not written, you know, four words and, you know, tried to publish them. So, so I will only take a very scant amount of, you know, credit for being a change meister. But I will say this, um, you know, when we look, we... Change means a lot of things to a lot of people. Like one thing about our work is that when we tell people we need um, we need something to to make progress, to help more people or whatever, a lot of times their first inclination is to say, "Well, yeah, but is that going to produce the change that we want to see, or is this just throwing money away?" Right. So, so there's a lot of people that think of change as a positive thing for someone else. <laughs> right? I mean, it's one of the biggest dynamics of changes. It's always good if it's somebody else's job right. to change, right? So when we go talk about the, the issues around food insecurity, one of, our, one of our biggest priorities is to listen to the change that other people want, right? And and the the kinds of things that that they're thinking about in terms of here's the kinds of changes I would like to see. So there's a lot of people that would like to see, for example, government spend less money, right? That's a change people would like to see happen. And they have good reasons for wanting that change, right? And they can tell you what those reasons are. So when you bring to them, yeah, but you know, there's a there's a pretty big need for for food for people in our community. They're gonna say, "Well, wait a minute, that, that, that's that means we're gonna have to spend more money." I don't like that, right? I don't like that. So the change process has a lot to do with 
Well, let's talk about, is there a way for the government to save money and to feed more people? Is there a way to do that? And you get a lot farther when you talk in those kinds of terms than you do when you talk in absolutes, right? So Mm -hmm. that's part of the reason why when we talk about change, we talk about more and better because sometimes more is just flat out what you need. But you always have to be looking at better, and especially if the change has to be scaled to something as big as ending food insecurity. When it's that big, whatever you decided to do first is going to have some things that don't work as you get to scale. So you've got to be doing more and better. And so the dynamics of this whole issue of change are related to... What are our priorities? How do we balance those priorities? How do we listen carefully to the changes people want and marry the changes so that people can say, you know what, that vision does intersect well with the changes I'd like to see. That's not always easy, but but everybody learns when they listen. And that is one of the biggest things we do when we go talk to legislators and others about things like a $20 million budget appropriation to buy fresh produce from Michigan farms and get that fresh produce to Michiganders who need a little help right now. So, Jerry, you said a lot right there in that, and I'm going to pick a couple of things out that are really important, and I'm going to start at the end and work my way back here. So our friend Sam Chan, C-H-A-N-D, SamChan.com, says, you never learned anything when you were speaking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, that might have been a little more succinct than, than, than your ramble, uh, your rant there, uh, but... It's the Either principle. way, ramble, rant, okay. It's, you know, <laughs> synonyms. So, you know, it, it's, but that's the truth. I mean, you had an encounter with a legislator yesterday who who's not against people getting access to food, particularly children and seniors, but had a legitimate question and concern even to go, well, geez, I mean, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. You know, and and you can't still aren't able to tell me that it's enough to meet the need. And I think that that's a lot of unpacking right there. How much is enough? How do we know what the need is? What factors are involved in determining the need that food banking doesn't really have any control over? But yet it causes the need to rise and fall. For sure. And and Representative Steele, who who actually caught me in the hallway, I was walking down the hallway and she said, hey, you know, how are things going at the food bank? And we started to engage in a conversation about what's happening in, in, in our world and, and, of course, creating a food secure Michigan. And she did have a lot of excellent questions that we ask ourselves all the time. And some of her questions were directly related to, well, Jerry, can you tell me how many people actually need help? And then can you tell me, do they have access to the various types of help that are already available through government programs? Because I don't want to spend more money if we're not utilizing the programs that we have already to their fullest extent. Excellent questions. Uh, it was a really engaging walk. We, we walked a few blocks together and, uh, and had a really good conversation. Obviously, the answer to the question takes time. But, but one of the pieces of the question that I think is really important to address for our listeners is, 
that it's it is difficult to pinpoint exactly how much need there is at any point in time. It really is difficult. How many people are food insecure? We talk in generalities mostly. So I know there's in in the five counties Gleaner serves, it's it fluctuates between 750 and 900,000. You say, well, that's a pretty big fluctuation. Well, yeah. So right now we just lost some government sources of income for people. Emergency allotments on the SNAP card. And that will create more people showing up at food banks. Did the need actually change? Nope. But the resourcing of the need changed. So we are going to see a dynamic impact because the resources changed when the need probably didn't. But if you talk to food banks, they're going to say they're seeing more people. And the, the, the assumption, of course, is, well, the need has changed. But in fact, the need hasn't changed. What's changed is the resourcing. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot easier to measure resources than it is to measure needs. So when you start to marry all of the things that create need, personal crises, health concerns, the loss of a loved one from the home, unemployment, poor housing situations, a a car that has to be fixed often because it's old and and has a lot of miles, you, you just start to add all of the dynamic things in a person's life that affects their situation right now and and the number of things, just the sheer volume of things that change need is is really hard to get your hands around. But we're better at it today than we've ever been. Sure. We'll, we, and we want to pick that up on the other side of the break, too, because we are better at it now than we've ever been. And there are changes throughout the network and how the work is done that we want to talk about as well that weren't 10 years ago or 15 and certainly 20 years ago. But just thinking about, you know, your encounter with the legislator there that, you know, conversation is truly the gateway to change. And when we started the show, we said we want to change the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan. And I think by and large, we've been able to do that because one of the things we've learned is that conversations are not speeches. I mean, there is an active listening component. And this was a person who had a concern who has a, a value system and and operates out of that system, and out of that system came legitimate questions that you were able to listen to and not discount. You were able to affirm those those that value system and those questions, and and that preceded a conversation, and the conversation that now where this person is more open to the work than what she was before. And I think that that is the dynamic that I really want to, this first segment to, to, to cover is that, that conversations are not speeches. And when we actively listen and don't discount people who have a, a different, different opinion, a different perspective than maybe we do right now, if we'll listen and validate and affirm, we open the door for a conversation. And it is through conversation that leads to a gateway to positive change. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back with you in just a moment to talk more about change in food banking and how do we create a food secure state. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. 
Welcome back everyone, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, and we're talking about change, change management, things we've learned over the years of doing this show. When we wanted to change the conversation about food insecurity, and I think we have had some impact there, Jerry. I think I think that food insecurity is more top of the mind for people, for decision makers, for influencers. But one of the things I I know is true is uh, it takes courage to change the conversation. You know, uh, I've said on the show, and you've heard me say a thousand times that it, there's it takes three qualifications to do this work. You should have the mind of a scholar because there's a lot to learn, right? You should have the heart of a shepherd because it's really about the people in the community and that's who we're most accountable to. But you for sure better have the hide of a rhinoceros because most people in in our world, when they see change, they fear loss. And I think that's what, whether we're talking about our board meeting at the Food Bank Council, or we're talking about a new project, or we're talking about something that's different that we hope and believe will meet the need in a better way, people often fear change because they fear loss. And in fact, sometimes change agents can forget that um, people want to be cared about. Everybody wants to be cared about. On some kind of level, people want to know that other people care about them. And when you're trying to make a change and you act like you don't care about somebody, especially somebody who's threatened by that change, whatever that fear of loss is to them, um, the more you demonstrate that you really don't care, the more pushback you're going to get. Right. The, the more obstacles there's going to be toward trying to, to get where it is that you think you need to be for the betterment of somebody. Um, and then when you when you compound that with sometimes people who want change on behalf of somebody else haven't listened to those people either. <laughs> and so the people they're trying to help, the change that you're trying to make isn't the help they want, right? And right. so and so you have a lot of skepticism around change, right? Because change agents aren't always perfect. And I do think that being a change agent requires uh, and, and your three traits are, are really excellent. Uh, the mind of a scholar, the heart of a shepherd, and the height of a rhinoceros. Uh, because change, being a change agent is a responsibility to everybody else, the the people who you're trying to help, as well as the people who you're trying to convince. And, um, and you've got to care about all of them if you really want to see that change happen. Now, if it's a small enough change, it, it's, it, you know, you can probably force it or push it or whatever. But if you get in the habit of those behaviors... You end up, first of all, in an awful lot of conflicts, many of which are unnecessary. But what's even worse is you cut yourself off from learning what you need to learn about an issue. And, you know, one of the representatives I met with yesterday, I told her, um, I said, one of the things we like to say on the show is the less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve. She wrote it down. (laughs) She wrote it down. She said, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. I said, use it away. I'm sure I didn't make it up, but I use it all the time. And uh, but it gets to this idea of change. And what if you're a change agent, what are you really required to be and do um, especially if that's uh, if you're working on a, a, a huge problem that requires a lot of involvement from a lot of stakeholders, like food insecurity does. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you think about change, you know, every, all change needs a champion. You know, we introduced you as our change meister, you know, <laughs> uh, and, be, and, and, and one of the reasons I say that, and this is a compliment to you, is that you literally have put your money where your mouth is. When you talked about, you know, what's the next innovation in food banking? You've invested money and hired people to find that out, to learn what you didn't know. And that's the whole point of the having a, a, a process associated with what, whatever change you're trying to create. Change is always, it, it, we said it's a critique of the past, but it's also a glimpse of the future. And I think that's why we make the investments. And certainly I think Gleaners has, has, has done that. And I have to call out Food Gatherers and Eileen Spring and Markel Miller in, in Washtenaw County. I mean, a lot of times I will say to food bankers across the nation, they give me an idea. They'll say, hey, Phil, we're thinking about doing this. And I say, go talk to Eileen. She's probably been doing it for three and a half years. That's the honest truth right there. You know, so so she is, and, and leaders see before, they see better, and they see beyond the rest of us. That's why they're the leaders, right? And so I think seeing some of what what needs to happen, you know, and we talked about, you know, the work being based on need, not based on capacity, you know, I think is a, is a change thought. So, so we say, oh, well, we got this much food to give and this food bank can do this much and this food bank can do this much. But does that represent where, where the need lies in and across the state in the communities? And I think that's a change that we're evolving towards where the work is based on the need assessment rather than the capacity of the warehouse. That's right. And, of course, different communities have grown differently in terms of their capacity to do the service. So if you constantly support those that have developed that capacity already, you're going to leave people behind in communities where that capacity hasn't been built yet. Right. right? And that's that you don't want to do. You know, it's when we... It's defining reality. This is another thing that you say about leadership a lot, that one of the first priorities of leadership, or the first, is to define reality. And so I want to give an example of that because I think that is so poignant for this conversation. So if, if the, it's, and, and this is the difference between what I know, what I think, and what I think I know. There are known knowns. There are known unknowns. But there are also unknown unknowns. <laughs> Right? Well, Which are different things. The knowledge gap. <clears throat> they're different things, right? So if, if you think people are hungry because they're lazy, then it changes what you think the solution to the problem is. Hmm. Right? right? It fundamentally changes how you think the problem should be solved. So you're going to say, we need to motivate people because they're lazy, and if they were motivated, then that would create the change that we want. So then you say, well, how do you motivate people? And it leads you down a path of punishments and incentives to try to combat the idea of laziness, right? Now, my question is, well, do we think people are lazy? Do we know people are lazy? Or do we think we know people are lazy? <laughs> Very, right? Yeah. Right? And so a lot of what I end up doing in this change process is trying to understand the answer to the question, what do we really know? Do we really know that people are lazy? I think we really know that some people are lazy. I think we really know that. 
But beyond that generalization, there's a lot we really don't know. And what, what, we, what ends up happening is we take facts and figures and we use them to create a worldview that now is what we think we know. And that's where the danger comes in. That's where policy danger comes in. When you think you know based on a bunch of related facts, but you don't really know the thing that you're postulating, right? And in this case, I use the example of people are hungry because they're lazy. Mm -hmm. So what do I know that you don't know, right? And I mean no. I know that I've spent thousands of hours with people who need food help. And I can tell you, in those thousands of hours, I have met so many people who work hard every day, mm -hmm. right? I know that the majority of people that I've talked to personally are not lazy who are hungry. Now, is that enough? Is my personal experience of the world enough for me to say that I know people aren't lazy? Well, I can say for sure I know some people aren't lazy. I can say for sure that the majority of people that I've met who need help aren't lazy. But I still can't say without any further information, are people lazy? Aren't they lazy? What percentage are lazy? What percentage aren't lazy? I'm going to be done with this in a minute because it's just going to get boring. But the idea that I'm trying to get across is there are things we know, there are things we think, but it's the things we think we know that are the obstacles to true learning and changes that are going to make the most impact. It's the things that we think we know for sure. Right. That get in the way of our learning. Right. And that's, that's a great, that is a great point. And it is so important to how you're going to begin to approach the problem. Um, I, it's a wisdom gap, right? I said it was a knowledge gap, but it's really a wisdom gap. The difference between knowledge and wisdom, I think we all know preach to ourselves at that moment. And, and I think this is what you've illustrated as a wisdom gap. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. we got to take a quick break, but we're going to talk about some change that has occurred in our work over the past few years that make us better and more efficient at meeting the need and creating a food secure Michigan. Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in our WJR studio. Thanks for being with us. We're talking about change, which I love change. I love change. You know, I, my mentor would say that leaders love change, managers hate change. <laughs> that's that's very fun. You know, that's that, a very fun idea. We really ex leaders expect things to change. They want things to change for the better. Managers manage a process, and they like it to stay consistent. And God help us if we have exceptions. <laughs> right. 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 So it's you know I I'm I I. I feel for the people who in my organization are more of a manager so mindset that have to work with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a whole show, doctor. We'll, we'll save that idea. Yeah, it's, it's, it, is, it is that. But, Jerry, you know, one of the things I heard you say in one of the meetings we had with a legislator, um, in fact, it was with uh, Representative uh, Angela Whitworth's team, um, that... 
that there has been some very positive changes in how we do this work uh, over the last you know, decade and even the more recent years. And I think back to when I first came to the network, we had a sizable grant from the Michigan Health Endowment Fund um, to learn, really learn how to do fresh produce. And I would say the network really learned how to do that. And that innovation led us to learn how to do dairy and particularly fresh milk. And, you know, shout out to the Michigan um, Milk Producers Association and the UDIM, the United Dairy Industry of Michigan, that donates in excess of 350 gallons of milk to our network every day. I mean, that you yeah. I mean, that stuff's got to turn fast. You got to turn that around and get it out the door quickly. So there's there's a lot to say on this topic. Uh, the the big thing I would add to that this part of the conversation is we know a lot more about what people want and need, right? And so when we talk about driving change in food bank, there's a lot of things that could instigate that. One of them is some food is available. So you say, oh my gosh, there's tomatoes available. So guess what? Everyone is going to get tomatoes, right? Because they're available. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of food banking back in the early days was getting whatever was available and getting it out there and then going, whew, we're done. But what we learned over time is, no, you're not really done. While that's a good skill to have, and it's still a really core skill in food banking, taking what's available and getting it to people, period, we've learned that that generates a lot of waste. You give people what they don't want or can't use or have too much of, and you have waste, and that's not good. That's a that's a pretty expensive garbage program, right? Mm-hmm. That's not what we want when we think about our systems. So when we get to the issue of um, how food banks have changed for the better, I think one of the key changes we've made is we ask people, what do they want? And, you know, people really want fresh produce, and they really want fresh milk, and it turns out that that's also available, mm. right? And so when those things are married together— what people want and need with what's available, that is the sweetest spot you can be in when it comes to food banking. Mm-hmm. Now, it turns out that most of what's available, somebody wants. So how do we make sure that we take what's available and marry that with what we know people want across the whole network? And that takes data. Well, we're a lot better at data than we've ever been. We still have a ways to go. But we know a lot more about where people are who want and need what's available. And that whole process is making us more efficient. It's helping us do more with less. The, 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 the next thing I'm going to talk about is transportation. When I started in this work 30 years ago, people had to drive from Port Huron to Mount Elliott in Detroit, where the Capuchin uh, Service Center is, to get food. Because between Port Huron and what the Capuchins were doing, they didn't know of any other place to get food. I'm not saying there was no place, mm-hmm. but nobody knew about it. It was it was a huge challenge for people across our whole uh, counties that we serve here to, to get anywhere near close to home. Well, that was a huge barrier to people. Now, in the five counties we serve, people don't have to travel more than two miles. 
that's the farthest you'd have to travel in the five counties we serve to get food. And that includes way out in, in Monroe County and way out in Livingston County. Now we're still working on how do we get to know? How do we do the mobiles better? How do we make sure you know the school systems that we work with let people know they can have access to this food? So we're not done. But those are changes that were instigated by a deeper understanding of what people want and need so that they can have access to this food. One last thought. All of those changes are built around the idea that food security creates a positive community, that kids can thrive, that seniors are healthier, that people can navigate a crisis in their life and get to the other side of that crisis quicker and better, that it saves time and money for the whole community if we solve this problem. And so we start with certainly the reality that we have to define. What are people's barriers that instigate change? But we also really lean on what is the future we desire, and is that a compelling enough future to make the change worth doing? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm I'm uh, I'm going to use some of that, and I'm not going to give you any credit for it. <laughs> that's that's my that's my. Plan. Well, that's not a change. <laughs> that's we're not changing that. So here's we've got a couple minutes left in this segment, and so we're going to do rapid fire. Now, I, what I mean by rapid fire is that you have to be succinct. Here we go. Oh, boy. So I'm going to give you a statement about change, and you're going to give me your first reaction to it. Okay. Ready? Okay. All change is perceived as loss. Yes, I think it's absolutely true, and that's why we have to be careful that we care about everyone when we want to make a change. All change has casualties. It does, because people are invested in systems that change is going to force them to change. All change is about getting worse before it gets better. <laughs> oh, that's one I might want to argue with, but it's, uh, yeah, how can I be succinct on this one, doctor? I think it's a deep thought that's worthy of further thought. Oh, that you bailed on that one. <laughs> change imposed is change opposed. I don't know if there's a truer saying about change than that. you got to care about people, and imposing change is not a way of caring, and you're going to get resistance. 100% of change will be misunderstood. Yeah, because we don't always define reality perfectly before we start making changes. I, or maybe we never define reality perfectly before we start making changes because the end in mind is so compelling, we just want to get there and we don't think about what should we say about and it. And I think we forget to create the transition plan yeah. from yeah. where we're at today to where we want to be in the preferred tomorrow. And because of that, this damage happens yeah. to people, programs, and plans. Maybe that's the answer to the one I bailed on before. You did, you did <laughs> bail on that one. That's all right. That was pretty good. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, this is Food First Michigan. We're back with you in just one moment. Thanks for listening, everybody. I really do appreciate you, and so does Jerry. And um, I understand that the listening audience here on WJR, Sunday nights, 9 p.m., is growing. And uh, the subscriptions to the podcast, Food First Michigan podcast, are at 75,000-plus now. And, uh, you know, Jerry, I look back over the history of the show where we have said we wanted to change the conversation about food insecurity in the state 
And I think that has largely happened. In fact, you should probably look at your LinkedIn to find out how long we've actually been doing this show because it's longer than either one of us knew. <laughs> how do you like that? Well, who remembers, you know? <laughs> I think we're actually in our sixth year. Sixth year. How do you like that? Yeah, I Lots looked at my LinkedIn awesome the other day and guess. went, oh, geez, that's a change. <laughs> So, um, yeah, but nobody celebrates six years. We just keep using five till we get to 10. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty close. That's, yeah. So, hey, so, so there is a potential huge change on the horizon for the Food Bank Council and our seven Feeding America members. Um, and that is a line item that is before the legislature right now. And I have to say that there are some champions in the legislature for this this ask uh for the food bank council it's it's a line item that we call mass it's the michigan agricultural surplus system it's currently funded at around two million we've asked for an 18 million dollar increase to get us to a 20 and what we do with this money folks is take it and reinvest it right back into the michigan agricultural economy and buy directly from farmers processors and producers and which shortens our uh, supply chain uh, length of our supply chain it invests money right back into the michigan economy and most importantly it gets fresh food the food that people want and need right into their hands um, and it's a win-win-win scenario, and you had some meetings about that recently. Yeah, well, the, all of us food bankers uh, uh, were were together uh, talking to legislature, the state legislators who are from our districts where our food banks operate to make sure people know why this is important and what a win-win it is. Um, and, and obviously doing some listening and trying to make sure we understand if there's any objections and, and, and answering those objections. But here's what I would say about the process. Um, it was excellent to talk about this. There is a lot of responsibility uh, for legislators to understand a whole host of issues. And so being in front of people and, and bringing this to their attention is a really good activity just for that reason. But what we also learned is how much our legislature cares about the people of Michigan. It shouldn't be a surprise, and it's not a surprise, but there is a tremendous amount of concern for the farmers in our state. And we know how important they are to our communities across the state. There's a tremendous amount of concern for kids and seniors and veterans and others who are in need and who need food help and a tremendous desire to to have less of that in the communities where we live and where our kids go to school and so we know that there's impetus for making this change happen but what a difference it'll make to have a significant consistent amount of food that is that is planned well in advance even before planting time so that we can drive the highest level of efficiency and the lowest cost and the greatest amount of care. Mass is a program that works. It works so well that in Ohio, they spend $25 million a year on it. And we can learn from Ohio. I, I know that's a dangerous thing to say, but we can and we should, and we need to make this happen. It will make a huge difference, not just for people in urban areas, but literally Every community in the state of Michigan will benefit from this program. Well, the truest test of leadership, Jerry, is when we can create positive change. And this is a pretty significant investment, but it has a 
very significant return on in that investment. And it will create a lot of positive change for the families that we serve and uh, for our network and also for the farmers who supply the food that we all enjoy. So it's time for a little food for thought. We're talking about change and changing the conversation and how that changes you. It, it would be hard to not include in this show a quote attributed to Gandhi when he said, be the change you want to see in the world. I mean, how many times have you seen this stenciled on the wall in a, in a church or in an, uh, a gathering place, a community center, a wall, an office building? Well, get ready for a little change because Gandhi actually didn't say that. Be the change you want to see in the world. It's actually attributed to a high school teacher back in the early 50s who said, be the change you want to see in the world. Now, here's my take on that. How cool would it be to say something so profound that it gets attributed to Gandhi? Hmm. That's knowledge that causes you to change. And that's really what this show is about. Because the first person to change because of the conversation is always you. It was me. I find hunger to be abhorrent, unnecessary, and yet solvable. That was the first change I saw as a result of my internal conversation. Hunger is solvable, beatable, and it's possible. But it won't happen without you and without us keeping food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.